Chapter 11, I will build my church. Jesus builds his people. Jesus said the church that he builds will be built upon the revelation of himself and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I have covered a massive part of this in chapter 5 entitled Revelation is the Key to Transformation. God builds his people on the true knowledge of himself. The words that come forth from his mouth are spirit and life. We receive these words through the power of the Holy Spirit. This true knowledge is received in our hearts and minds, and this causes Christ's literal life to be birthed in us more and more. And it is from this powerful work being done that we become this offensive people. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. There is nothing passive about this passage of Scripture. God's people aren't passive people, but active people of the Spirit. They are people who are on a pursuit of coming to know God for who he in fact actually is, and then from this position coming to understand his ways, his plans, his purposes, and how he does everything. What do we notice about this statement, I will build my church? Who is doing the building and who is being built? Here are some questions to meditate on and answer from a position of revelation. Who is the church? Whose church is it? Who is the builder of the church? What does it mean to be built as the church? How does Jesus build his church? What is the church that Jesus is building able to demonstrate and model? The answers to these questions reveal so much about us and how much actual spirit-led building is really taking place, as opposed to a whole lot of imaginary work. So many times, especially at conferences, do we see and hear, let's build his church or let's build his kingdom. When I see these types of slogans or rally cries from God's leaders to God's people, I feel a sense of sadness and grief come upon me, as once again, we will be leading people away from the truth that God has for us as his people. It is imperative we come to the understanding that the church doesn't build the church or the kingdom. Jesus and Jesus alone is the builder of his church, and he builds his church his way. Jesus builds the kingdom of God in the church because it was Jesus who said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God being established in the hearts and minds of God's people is a spiritual process and one that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. Unless the Lord builds the house, God's people, they build in vain. Psalm 127, 1-2 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. I believe there are many in the body today who need this passage of Scripture revealed in them. God causes this growth through the Word being revealed in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Our role in all of this is firstly to realize and acknowledge that we are completely dependent on God to build us, and it is our submission to God and His ways that empowers and enables the church and the kingdom to be built. It is from this posture and position in Christ that we become an effective follower or ambassador of Christ, because this true building work of the Spirit is being accomplished in and through us. 
Right here is the challenge and test for every follower of Jesus. Do we carry a living conviction of the above questions because of a revealed understanding? We say we do. We say things like, yes, I know Jesus builds his church. Of course he does. And yes, he builds through the power of the Spirit. And of course I allow him and am doing everything his way. This tends to be the stock standard answer. But what would we expect to see being formed and produced if God was building his people the way God does it? We need to ask ourselves as leaders and followers if the fruit of his spirit is actually being formed and produced within us, because this is what is produced and formed in us when Jesus is building his church. Are we able to love like Christ yet? Do we have his peace, his joy, his rest? Are we receiving him when we sleep? Are we like the man who throws out the seed and goes to bed and wakes up to find the crop is produced, not knowing how this all happened, but still experiencing the reality of it? Is this our reality, or are we running around frantically, having to keep all the plates spinning and no genuine work of transformation is occurring? Being able to draw a crowd and get people doing tasks doesn't mean any true building is taking place. All you can be doing is pulling on everyone's fleshly desires to have to be doing something because that's where we find our identity and purpose. You only see what true building is taking place when pressure is applied to the foundation through a test. God allows tests to test the true building work. Here are three powerful thoughts. We must resist the insatiable religious urge and itch we have to give Jesus a hand in building his church. We must know his role and our role. His role is to build, and our role is to submit to being built. We must be able to see the real thing rather than the institution. All our activity can be in vain. A great program in itself will not build us. A great service in itself will not build us. A great conference in itself will not build us. Growing up in a great Christian household or community in itself will not build us. Reading the word, praying and singing songs in and of themselves will not build us. Serving the poor and reaching out to the lost or giving financially, these things in and amongst themselves will not build us. Learning how to have a great marriage or raising kids God's way doesn't mean we are being built. A leader with an incredible gift and with charisma will not in themselves be able to build us. Relationship with one another in itself will not build us. For the most part, we do these things reasonably well, but in and amongst themselves, they don't build us at all in the power of the Spirit. The modern-day church thinks if it does all these things, then this is what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. This gives meaning and understanding to Psalm 127, 1-2. As mentioned earlier, we build in vain. This is what we measure it all by, and yet this can't be any further from the truth. We can be involved in all of this activity, and all these things can satisfy our insatiable religious itch that needs scratching and still not be built the way Jesus builds his church, which means we are not the people God intends us to be. Unless we are changing and his fruit is being formed and produced in us, which enables us to live as he lived, there is very little building happening.
When we realize we are the modern-day temple that is being constructed, we must seriously look at our lives and ask some fairly significant questions of our lives and what is being produced in and through us. We must make it our priority to come to understand everything from God's perspective, especially when it comes to God's people being built. God builds the church His way, and when we get this round the wrong way, chaos awaits us. To build the way I've described above, thinking this is what it means to build the church, is to build on sand. And we know what happens to all those who built on sand when the waves came. God builds on His pattern. We must be a people who are being built in accordance to the pattern God has given his church. We see God gave Moses clear instructions when it came to the building of the tabernacle and the utensils being used. Exodus 25.9 According to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Exodus 25.40 See that you make them after the pattern for them, for which was shown to you on the mountain. Exodus 26.30 Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan, which you have been shown in the mountain. 1 Kings 6.38 In the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is in the eighth month, the house was finished throughout all its parts and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. When the temple was built by Solomon, we also see a pattern given for how the temple was to be built. God was extremely specific in how the tabernacle and the temple were to be built. He was also extremely specific regarding all the other parts that would go into the tabernacle and the temple. We can see from this God had a pattern for which the tabernacle and the temple were to be built by, and today is no different when it comes to how he builds the modern-day temple, which is the church, God's people. If God had a pattern for the tabernacle and the temple, you can guarantee he has a pattern for his modern-day temple. Cindy Ruakiri released an incredible, powerful, prophetic word in our church in 2010 when she said, The people you were is not who you are today, and the people you are today is not who you are becoming. The core emphasis of this word is the word people. As his people, we are to be different. We are to be maturing we are to be coming into more and more of his life in us. We are to be brighter and brighter and brighter as time goes on. We are to be constantly maturing. The brokenhearted are no longer to be brokenhearted, but wholehearted. This word was incredibly powerful and still is because it would align itself to the very pattern God was revealing to us as to how he builds his church. When God's people align themselves to the pattern that God has given his church for the building up of his church, then the people will start to grow and change and come into more and more of Christ's life within them. This enables us to walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. Matthew 5, 43-48 You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect.
So what is the pattern God has given us today for the spiritual building of his house, his church, his people? God builds upon the revelation of himself in the hearts and minds of his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has also given certain giftings which, when operating from the presence of God, aid in this building preparation work. As I've mentioned earlier in this chapter, it is God that causes the growth, even though Paul planted and Apollos watered, but this isn't to diminish or lessen our understanding of the gifts that God has given to his church in this building process. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts given by God. The first thing I want to point out is that God is the giver of the gifts. He gave some as apostles. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was called as an apostle. Paul didn't decide he would be an apostle, but he was called as one. We don't decide what gift we will have as if we can pick and choose from the lottery. I once had a senior leader of a well-known church community say to me that when he needed to be an apostle, he was an apostle. And when he needed to be an evangelist, he was an evangelist. Put another way, when I need to be this, I put this hat on. And when I need to be that, I put that hat on. This is not how these gifts work. If these gifts are not given to us, we cannot operate from them. And there is a very specific reason for this. Only Jesus Christ himself was all five of these gifts. Hence, he is the giver of the gifts, and he separates the gifts out, giving some to others and others to some. The reason for this is so we can learn how to be interdependent on one another and not independent like so many followers are today. We need one another if we are going to be the church that Jesus builds and Jesus desires. Notice it says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, the key word here being some. Notice these gifts are given to the church for a very specific purpose for the church. If the church doesn't understand the gift and the function of the gift and who the giver of the gift is, then it will never receive the gift. The gift remains unopened. Jesus couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because the people didn't recognize who he was. Absolute outcomes for the church if the gifts are operating in alignment to God's way. If the church fails to understand what I've written above, then the outworking of this is that the church won't receive the benefit and the life of the gift that is for her. This is an incredibly sad reality and one that breaks the heart of the gift giver. These four or five gifts, depending on your viewpoint, are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service into the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What an incredible promise. 
God has given the church these gifts for this incredible work to be accomplished through the leading and power of his spirit. The questions I want to pose to us all today are, are these gifts operating in the body of Christ? Are all of God's people being exposed to these gifts that God has given his church and receiving the grace that is on each gift so she can be built the way God intends? If we are to look at the outcomes that the Bible declares, which are to be present in the church from having these gifts operating and then view the church today, do we see these outcomes? Unity of the faith, knowledge of Jesus Christ, maturity, the body coming into the fullness of God. I carry a personal conviction that the Father would want every community that has been birthed by him to have these gifts operating within it so that the church community can come into all that I have mentioned so far. Imagine every community coming to more and more of the unity that is in Christ, not conformity through the flesh, but unity in the Spirit. Imagine the people who are more and more coming into the true knowledge of Jesus Christ for who he in fact is and not who we think he is. Would we also be able to say like Paul, our lives to this point are but rubbish compared to knowing him? What would a mature people look like and be able to demonstrate and be living for? A mature people don't have their minds on the earth but on the things above. A mature people are living for a higher standard, a higher order, an upward calling. They live on the earth, but they are not of the earth. The earth is to look upon these people as being aliens, foreigners, a peculiar people, but a people who release an aroma of life. This is who the church of Jesus Christ is called to be and become. The functioning order of God's gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 is a fascinating passage of truth as it puts these gifts into a functioning order. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, their miracles, the gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Even though the pastoral and evangelistic gifts are not specifically mentioned here, we can still learn a lot from this passage of truth. Have we ever taken the time to ask ourselves why it says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers? There is a clear order being established here, and this order is being established by God himself. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. God is giving us very clear instructions as his people in relation to these gifts. He is the giver of the gift. He appoints the gifts in the church. He establishes the functioning order of the gifts. I'm not sure it can get any clearer than this for us. Here are the questions I want to ask us. Why does God give an order to these gifts? Why does he rank them? Why is the apostle first and the teacher third? Why isn't the prophet first and the apostle third? Why isn't the teacher first and the apostle second and the prophet third? God is extremely intentional and specific with everything he does. He never makes a mistake and he has a purpose for everything he does. And it is our role to be in a true knowledge of God and his ways so we discover the purpose behind his design. So why does this functioning order exist? And why is the apostle first and the prophet second and the teacher third? I believe to understand the functioning order of the gifts, we need to understand the purpose of the gifts. And to help us understand the purpose of the gifts, we need to look at the people themselves who carry this particular gifting and see what they are modeling and demonstrating through their lives. Understanding the apostolic gift. 
I want us to start with the first gift because in my experience, this gift seems to be the gift that the church knows the least about and yet is first in the order of function. We say things like, we are not all prophets, but we are all called to prophesy. We say we are not all teachers, but we are all called to teach. We say we are not all pastors, but we are all called to be pastoral. We say we are not all evangelists, but we are all called to evangelize. And yet when it comes to the apostle, we say we are not all apostles, but we are all called to, to what? And we leave it blank, not knowing what to say here or how to respond. And yet we are not all apostles, but we are all called to be apostolic. Like the pattern above, we are able to be and say that we are not all apostles, but we are all called to be apostolic and know what that means and be engaging in this reality. Can I say this so it's clear from the start? Giving yourself the name of apostolic as a denomination can have very little effect on whether you truly are apostolic in heart and mind. Being apostolic has nothing to do with an external name you give yourself as a movement or a denomination. It has everything to do with the heart and mind culture of a person or a people group. So where do we start in our understanding of this gift of the apostle, which God gives and appoints in the church, and the church being and becoming apostolic? Jesus is the apostle of apostles. We start with the perfect model. We start with Jesus himself. Hebrews 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus himself was the apostle of all apostles. He is the leader of all leaders and the father of all fathers. When we look at Jesus, what are the characteristics he patterned and modeled? We know he demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit, and it is from the fruit of the Spirit that he models what I call attributes of an apostle. I'm going to give us four major attributes of an apostle. I'm not saying that these are all the attributes of an apostle, but they are the major attributes that an apostle will model and pattern for God's people to see, because God's people are also called and chosen to demonstrate these very attributes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So what are these attributes that Christ as the apostle demonstrated? Number one, he was sacrificial. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus sacrificed his own life so that we could have life and a life of an abundant measure. This abundant measure is not only now, but in the future. Number two, he was selfless. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Philippians 2, 5 to 8, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was selfless and was wholeheartedly committed to accomplishing his father's will and not his own, even though this would cost him his very life. He only had one thing on his heart, 
and that was his father's will. Number three, he was set apart. Luke 3, 22, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Hebrews 5, 9 to 10, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 11 to 17. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, from the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord has descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was set apart by his father. He wasn't of the order of the Levitical priesthood, but he was of the order of Melchizedek, a spiritual lineage without genealogy, having no beginning of days or end of life. Jesus' line is of the spirit and according to the power of an instructable life. Number four, he was sent. John seventeen eighteen. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. John three seventeen. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to lead the world back into right relationship with his Father and to discover the promise for which we were all created. God's people are to be apostolic. Here is what is so profound. You and I, the church, have been called and chosen to be sacrificial, selfless, set apart, and sent. We have been called to be apostolic in heart and mind, to have the culture and value system of Christ within us. The culture which we are to live from is to be an apostolic one because it is Christ's culture. Let's have a look at the scriptures that relate to us in, in relation to being sacrificial, selfless, set apart, and sin. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Luke 9.23-25, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? 1 Peter 2, 9-10 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All the scriptures above relate to us as his people. We can see who we are called to be and what we are called to demonstrate and model. 
We are called to be sacrificial, selfless, set apart, and sent people. We are called to carry and live from an apostolic heart and mind culture and value system. We are called to imitate God. Jesus was an apostle. Paul was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. Moses was a type of Christ, so Moses was a type of apostle. Paul said, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. We are not called all to be apostles, but we are all called to be apostolic. The gift of prophet. The reason the apostle is first is because they are to demonstrate the Father's heartbeat and mindset. They are to be the demonstration of his kingdom culture. We can see from God's pattern in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that the second gift in the functioning order is the gift of prophet. As I've mentioned, we are not all prophets, but we are all called to prophesy and operate with this gift. Amos 3, verse 7 is an interesting passage in relation to the prophets. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. God used the prophets in a very powerful way in the first part of the book, revealing to them his ways and his word, and they were responsible for delivering his word and ways to the people. God today still uses people who carry the gift of prophet on their lives. The first of the two greatest attributes a prophet today brings to the body of Christ is their ability to hear and discern God's macro purpose and plan for the church and be speaking the appropriate messages into this prophetic picture at the appropriate times. It is essential a church is preparing and feasting on the right food for the times it is living in, and it is a major responsibility of the prophet to bring and to be declaring this food to the church. It is then the church's role to be feasting on this food, asking the Holy Spirit to bring to life this living manna. The second major role the prophet plays in the process of the building up of the church is to rightly divide the word of God. If it were prophets who wrote most of the first part of the book, then who best to bring forth the living manna that is contained within these words than the people who have the same gift on their life? I'm not saying prophets are the only ones who can understand the living truth that is written by the prophets of old. The Holy Spirit's role is to lead us into all truth. But at the same time, do we value the gift on the person who has been given grace for a specific functional task in this building process, which God leads and accomplishes? We as his people have to walk in the tension of God giving his church specific gifts for the building up of his people operating under and from the power of the Holy Spirit, while at the very same time knowing that it's the Holy Spirit's role to bring us into himself, the truth. These apostolic and prophetic gifts' main purpose is to demonstrate, know, see, and hear from an eternal divine perspective, God's heart and mind, and bring this perspective to the earth for God's people to understand and live from. Once again, it is not just the apostle or prophet who are to do this. We are all called to do this, but as previously stated, there is a grace on these people to accomplish the task that isn't on others. These people are forerunners. Romans 12 verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Opposition to the apostle and prophet giftings. There is massive opposition towards these gifts these people, from all those walking in the flesh because of the reality they bring. 
They bring the truth that makes the church free. They bring the eternal realm and culture to earth. And once again, this is a sacrificial, selfless, set apart and sent culture. The culture they bring has no room for self. The culture of self, the earth and the culture of Christ, the heavenly, cannot coexist. And the battle for dominion is very aggressive and fierce. I think this brings to life the scripture in Luke 11, 49 to 52. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed before the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Remember, God is the giver of these gifts, and God sends these gifts to his people, and yet his very own people kill and persecute these gifts, these gifts being the people God has sent. These gifts are the key of knowledge. For you have taken away the key of knowledge, and yet God's people wanted to hang on to their own version of knowledge and not let others enter the knowledge that births life. Hence they killed and persecuted God's called ones. The knowledge that births incredible and abundant life within us is the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, not our own version of him, which these leaders carried in hell. The flesh, which was operating and continues to operate today within God's people, will never agree with the things of the Spirit. And as Galatians teaches us, the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The purpose of these two gifts is primarily to serve the body of Christ, declaring God's ways, purpose, and plans for his church now and in the future, the age to come, and modeling to the church how we as his people are to be and live. These gifts are to be the demonstration of God on the earth for the church to imitate and follow. The gift of teacher. Teachers are the third gift in the order of function, and they are to be operating under and from the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching God's anointed and living word, just like the apostles and prophets are to be doing. The gift of teacher is present to help take the profound depths of God and his ways and put them in a simple and succinct way that helps people move towards understanding. The apostle, prophet, and teacher are to work as a team, praying and dialoguing with one another about what God is saying and wanting to bring to his people. They are to be walking in discipleship with one another and allowing God to be building them from the inside out, revealing more and more of who he is in them and to them. When these gifts are walking together, being led and empowered by the Spirit of God, teaching and preaching the living manna, then God's people will have the best opportunity to be changed and transformed by his word. The other two gifts in this fivefold team are the pastor and the evangelist. Some believe that the teacher and pastor are one gift, but even if they are, we can still see some slight variation in the gift. The gift of pastor or pastor slash teacher. The pastor slash teacher or teacher and pastor gifts are to work closely in a capacity with the flock, shepherding them into the truth that is coming through the apostolic prophetic lens. The word pastor is the word shepherd, and although all the gifts are called to shepherd, 
the pastor probably plays this role to a much higher degree than the others from a literal sense in this process. I want to stress the fact that this doesn't mean the other gifts don't shepherd the flock. All the gifts are called to shepherd, while at the same time having their own specific functioning tasks. The pastor slash teacher or pastor will act as a link or a bridge between the apostolic prophetic gifts and the people, making sure that the flock is coming into the understanding that the apostolic prophetic are bringing and making sure the flock is not getting too separated and scattered on this journey. The pastor will help share with the apostolic prophetic gifts where the flock is at and be a voice for when we may need to rest and camp. The gift of the evangelist. The last gift that God has given for the building of his church is the evangelist. The evangelist has a grace upon them to reach out to those who are yet to be reconciled to God the Father. They have a grace upon them to equip God's people to be a people who evangelize, a people who share the hope and the life they have in Christ. There is more we could say in relation to these gifts, but I think I have made the point I wanted to make in relation to the pattern that God uses in the building of his church today. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church, and God gives these gifts to his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to bring forth his living manna from heaven for the equipping and building up of his body so the body is able to accomplish its service to God. All this equipping and building is accomplished through the power and the anointing of God's Spirit because it is God who is the builder of his people. Hebrews 3 verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God.